And now, O Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our strength and our redeemer. If through the words of this human being we do not hear your voice, O God, we ask you to speak to each of us then here in the quietness of our hearts. Amen. Today we are in the next to last week of a series all about searching our heart together. What it means for us to search our heart as individuals and our heart as a church. And what we are inviting the Holy Spirit to do with the word heart as our guide is to help us to see what needs to change within us as individuals and as a congregation and also what it is that we are doing well that we need to hold on to. In fact, for the first two weeks of this series, we spent some time in the book of Ephesians and we talked about what we need to hold on to and then what we need to eradicate. If you didn't, uh, if you weren't with us for those messages, I encourage you to go back and listen uh, to get an idea of where we've been heading. Last week at the very center, at the very core of searching our hearts together, we talked about the importance of prayer. And Solomon's story from 1 Kings was our guide then about, and uh, gave us, he gave us a model of how we can ask with humility while also asking with confidence what it is we need from the Lord. And today we have ventured into the Psalms together and into one of the Psalms that is so near and dear to my heart and is near and dear to the heart of the church because it is all about the importance of worship together. It is all about the importance and the, and the centeredness of coming to the house of the Lord, whether we physically walk into the building or we're joining from wherever we are today, but taking that time to pull aside and to worship and to dwell, to reside in God's temple. Many of us, when we think about residing somewhere, we think of living there, right? We think about if we say reside in the temple or reside in the church building, in our case, we may easily think, well, preacher, I don't know if I can, you know, set up a bed in one of these pews and move right in here. You know, this just seems like it might be a little uncomfortable. And that's uh, that. And, and, for, and in First Samuel, we see that that's exactly what the young boy Samuel did. But it's different for us today because you see. This is a building, yes. This is where we come to worship. This is modeled after the temple of the Old Testament as a place that we journey to and we come into it. And we, as we press in, as we come through the courts and into the sanctuary and into the center place, it represents that we are coming together closer to the presence of God. But friends, we are also told that our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, the body of the church, which is in the people, as well as individuals. We are where the presence of God can reside when we accept Jesus, when we follow after him. And so when we talk about residing in God's temple, what we are saying is that we live out of a place of knowing that we are God's child. We live out of a knowing and a familiarity with the fact that God is with us, grounded in the cross and all that the cross has done for us. In verse 1 of today's passage, we hear the declaration, How lovely is your dwelling place. Oh, Lord, dwell. That word to dwell, and it's uh, John O'Donohue, the Irish poet and philosopher who died about uh, 15 years ago, I think it is now. He, de he, decide he defined the word dwell from its original meaning as to dig deeper, to dig deeper. When we think about dwelling somewhere, we think about 
about planting our feet, planting our life, making and taking the time to really grow in a specific place. And that's what God desires of us, friends. When we talk about residing in his temple, what he is asking us to do is to abide in his temple, to dig deeper into his presence. And one of the best places that we can dig deeper into his presence is in his word. And so what we're going to be doing today is digging deeply into a few words and to a few ideas from the psalm. I really wish we had the time to go through this psalm verse by verse and, and extricate all of the truths from it, all of the insights, all of the revelation. Um, but just for the sake of time and for the sake of clarity, we're going to focus on just a few, a, a few of these as we go through um, the psalm today. But as we prepare to go into this, I want to share with you a story that I think is really meaningful for this um, uh, and, a, and a framework for what we're going to be looking at today. Um, on, Facebook, on my Facebook page, which I, my personal page I use to keep up with friends and with family uh, who are not local, who either have been in churches I've been in or from growing up years and things like that. And one of my friends, uh, that, or somebody who sent me a friend request a few months ago, was an elderly lady uh, from a previous congregation. She was a past member of the church, and she was living in an assisted, she had just moved into an assisted living facility. And she, when every time I would share the church's live stream on my personal Facebook page, Without fail, every Sunday she made a comment about it. Now, everybody needs a lady like this in your life because I could have stood up here and read the phone book and she would have said, good job, preacher. I'm realizing some of you don't even know what a phone book is, possibly, <laughs> because it hasn't been around in, in, in a few years. But anyway, long story short, she was a, she's an encourager. She would always say something positive, not just about me, but about the service itself, the beauty of the sanctuary. Week after week, I saw that. And then there was one week that something odd happened, or it seemed odd to me at the time. It got my attention, which was, she, she commented as always, but instead of saying something like what I just shared with you, she said, praying that people will come back to church. Praying that people will come back to church. And I read that and I thought, I wonder what she's talking about. I almost sent her a private message to say, tell me more about what you're thinking here. I mean, were, were you thinking about COVID and people coming back to in-person worship? Were you talking about people leaving the church in general? Um, I wasn't really sure what she meant, but I just sat with it and left it there. Well, I noticed the next Sunday she didn't comment on the, on the video. And then the next week she didn't comment. It wasn't very long after that that I found out that she had peacefully passed away in her sleep. And any time you know, friends, that you realize that the words before you are the last words that somebody has given to you, you see them in a whole new light, and they have whole new meaning. Because after I went back and read that again, I thought, you know, even though I have no idea, I really don't know what she was experiencing in that threshold between life and death, and if she knew what was coming, if she sensed that, Jesus, that she was about to meet Jesus face to face, I don't know the details of that, but I do know her well enough, and I know about being with people at the end of life well enough to know that she was, when she said that, she was thinking about something bigger than anything we can imagine. And when I read that now, I think about this, that this woman who had devoted so much of her life to her church, this woman who had spent Sunday after Sunday worshiping with others in the presence of God Almighty, that she longed to see everybody in the same place of joy that she had experienced for so long, that she was praying there at what she may not have known was the end of her life, but she was praying that people who were still on this earth 
would be in relationship with Jesus, that they would be in relationship with others, that they would be, uh, that they would be part of the body of Christ. And friends, if that is what somebody is thinking of at the end of their life, that is what we should be thinking about here in the middle of our life as well, that we should be residing in God's temple. Let me take that on a broader level than what she said, not just going to church, but we should all be praying that people will come to know Jesus and reside in his temple and dig deeper into his presence, that we would all be able to experience that joy that she experienced. Indeed, in verse 10, we hear today, she would testify to this, this, a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to live in the tents of wickedness. This psalmist is saying what this dear lady would have said as well. One day in God's presence is better than a thousand elsewhere. And now that she is face to face with Jesus, don't you know how true that is? And so we have to have an eternal perspective and residing in God's temple, residing in God's presence, digging into God's word together gives us that eternal perspective. And not only that, friends, but as we walk through the psalm together, we see something else that Jesus was likely very familiar with this psalm, that he also would have declared the importance of going to the house of the Lord, of being in the house of the Lord, of worshiping the Lord together. Because so much of the psalm we hear echoed in some of the things Jesus said. For instance, when he was only 12 years old, where was it that he got lost from his parents? The only story we have about Jesus' early years was about when he was in the temple of the Lord. And he wanted to stay there. He wanted to be about his father's business. That's one example. And then another example is in John chapter 14 when he has just told his disciples that his time on earth is limited. And he's about to go to his father and to their father. And they are understandably agitated. And they're upset. They're wondering, what is he talking about? What is it that Jesus says to them? He says in John chapter 14, verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many fill-in-the-blank. If you read the King James Version, you said mansions just now. And mansions is a good word. That, that's one translation of it. But other translations read, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. What he is saying to his friends is that the Lord has prepared for those who love him, for those who trust in him, for those who believe in him, a place for you to dig deeper for eternity, a place for us to dwell together for eternity. Jesus is saying, I have gone and prepared this for you, and I want you to experience it even now. When we go to the house of the Lord together into his dwelling place, we are getting a taste of heaven, whether we know it or not. And Jesus reminds us again in verse, or rather the psalmist reminds us in verse 3, that in that house, in that dwelling place, everyone has a home. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. If you're wondering what does this have to do with Jesus, well remember in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gave some of the best advice that anybody could ever give. And this is a passage I have quoted a record number of times, especially in the past year in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus gives us a really important command in three words. And that command is do not worry. Did anybody need to hear do not worry today? Do you need to hear that most every day? And what does Jesus go on to compare this to? What does he use as an analogy? He says, don't worry, guys. Look at the birds of the air. Even they have a home. I can't help but think that Jesus was humming to himself this particular psalm. 
when he was thinking about even the sparrow having a home and the, uh, having a place to reside in God's temple, in God's presence. And how much more is it for us, friends, that God wants for us to be secure. God wants for us to rest secure. And that resting secure comes from residing in his word by doing exactly, what, this is just one example, worshiping together today, sharing in the Lord's Supper together, and spending time really meditating on his word. Jesus shows us what happens when he meditated on God's word. It became a part of who he was, and so it is with us. I want to bring out another detail um, that relates to Jesus in this psalm, and it's not in your, uh, it's not in the version that's printed in your bulletin, but if you have your Bible with you, you may see this. In the inscription of this psalm, it says that it's written by the sons of Korah. That's another story for another day. We'll get to them another time. But there's also in there a, a little message that says that it was composed on a giddith. A giddith. Now, a giddith is an instrument. When was the last time you went to a concert and you said, man, that guy could really play that giddith? up there. Most likely you're, you're thinking that you've never seen something like that. Well, we don't know a lot about what a giddith is, but we do know that it was an a stringed instrument of the days of the, of the psalmist. And on that giddith, this psalm was composed. In fact, only three psalms all out of all 150 are listed as being composed on this specific instrument. And it's a special instrument because it came from the region of Gath. Gath was where David escaped when Saul was after him. And David, being a musician, I guess while he was in Gath, he said, well, while I'm here, I might as well learn some of the local music. You know, I might as well um, learn how to play on one of the instruments here. And he supposedly, or historically we believe, brought that instrument back. Well, Gath was known for its name meaning wine press. A wine press. This instrument came from a place of wine presses. What was it that Jesus held up? On his last night on earth, the night before he was betrayed, what was it that he held up in that cup as he declared, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you? It was wine from the wine presses. This psalm reminds us, friends, that we are the broken bread. And we are the poured out wine in the world today. Every time we eat the body, of, the, the body of our Lord, every time we drink of that cup of salvation, we become the body of Christ. We are trusted to be the wine press in this world to take, the, to take that good news out. And yes, we may feel like we are hard pressed on every side, but we have within us and among us the life and the, the, the life that comes through the blood of Jesus himself. And what he gives to us, what Jesus gives to us in his blood, it, it was necessary for us to be able to reside in God's temple forever. The spilling of his blood, the sacrifice was necessary for everything this psalmist said to come true for us. The blood had to be spilled, the wine had to be poured out, of it, the wine of his blood had to be poured out so that we could indeed declare, happy are those who live in your house. Happy are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. All of this praise is possible because of Jesus' life that was spilled out for us, and we are called to be that broken bread and that poured out wine as well. And what Jesus has given to us and what we have in this place of worship, what the psalmist is telling us about in this, in this journey to the temple and this time in the temple together, is that God has given us a place of some permanence 
a place of some permanence in the midst of a temporal world, a place that we can come to, that we can worship, that we can be together, that we can draw from the lifeblood of Jesus and become more like him each and, each and every day. What happens throughout this psalm, after we've spent some time here at the very beginning, hearing about what happens in the house of the Lord, there's in verse 5 we begin going through this journey towards that we, we, this journey towards the house of the Lord. And I love how the psalmist describes in verse 6 that we go through valleys and we go through places full of springs as well. We go from one strength unto another and the Lord God of hosts is with us every step of the way. This place, this that we are going towards in heaven, and also this place that we come to in worship are all indications of the same thing, which is residing in the presence of God. This psalm celebrates our ability to do that. This psalm celebrates the invitation that God has issued to us, and He is with us through the stormy seasons, through the valley seasons, as well as the fruitful seasons, going from one unto another. But what we are reminded here. As well, the psalmist tells us never take this for granted. Never take for granted the longing for the courts of the Lord. Never take for granted that the Lord is your sun and your shield. There should always be a longing within us to worship the Lord, to strive after his presence, and to be with him. Because worship is what we were created to do. Worship was what God set aside the seventh day for, for us to joy with him in all that he created and to give thanks for it. And this is what we do. We take time to dig deeper together, to reside in him so that we can help one another reside. We can bring more people into this great truth of residing in his presence. And this is the gift and the privilege we have of being a part of a church, being a part of the body of Christ, a place that we can go to to remind us of the place to which we are going. Earlier this week, my cousin, who lives in Tuscaloosa, shared a story that was just too good not to share, and it just happened to fit perfectly in uh, the conclusion for today. My cousin has a four-year-old little girl named Grace, and they were out for a ride around Tuscaloosa, and she said that they were driving through the University of Alabama campus. Now, I'm going to be making eye contact with all of my University of Alabama friends right now um, because you're probably wondering where this is going. Well, they were riding through the University of Alabama campus, and she said that Grace loves to look for churches when they're out riding around. And they were driving through campus, and all of a sudden, Grace got so excited. She looked up, and she said, Mama, it's a church. And her mom looked up, and she said, and there in front of me was the Sigma Chi house. And she said, I looked at her and said, oh, girl, that is definitely not a church. <laughs> but what I love about that was two things. First of all, a child named Grace, and we have been talking about Grace. You know, we, we uh, heard a beautiful offertory about Grace. But Grace was looking at the outside of a building and celebrating that that was a place where the presence of God resided. And indeed, we, we, everywhere we go, friends, we can see where God resides. We can see in one another, hopefully, that the presence of God resides in us. Is your outer life reflecting the inner life of you residing in God's temple? But grace also reminds us that it's what's on the inside that counts, too, right? A building can look a lot like a church, but if we go out of here acting like, acting like we don't love each other, then what are people going to think about what the presence of God is really like? Because, friends, we have to have both. We have to reside in God's temple with our hearts residing in God's temple so that we can 
truly look like a temple from the outside. We have to be in a place where we are worshiping constantly before him, where we don't just look like a church, but that we truly carry God's presence with us. Because, friends, what if somebody is driving by and sees you, and they want and they point at you, or they're going to point at you and say, hey, that's a church. Are you reflecting what it is that God wants you to reflect? And also, are you living the inner life that God has called you to lead? As we heard the psalmist say so wonderfully, Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Friends, may today be better than a thousand others because you have planted your feet, you have dug deeper into God's word, you have received from his word, you have worshipped him in spirit and in truth. So will you indeed go forth to not just look like a church, but will you go forth to be the church today? May it be so to the glory of the Father who lives and reigns with the Son and the Holy Spirit, blessed three in one, now and forever. Amen.